the mullet haircut and the sweaty top lip was wearing a smart blue suit, doubtless acquired for the occasion, but he'd let himself down with the bright white Nike airs. I'm sorry, he said. I'm really, really sorry. An elderly couple sat at the table opposite him. The man's back was ramrod straight, his milky blue eyes never leaving those of the man in the suit. The old woman next to the old man clutched at his hand. Her eyes looked anywhere but at those of the young man, who the last time he'd been this close to them had been tying them up in their own home. Darren Ellis's voice wobbled a little. If there was anything I could do to make it up to you, I would. There isn't, the old man said. The old woman began to cry. Darren Ellis began to cry. On the last row of seats sat a solid-looking man in a black leather jacket, forty or so, with dark eyes and hair that was greyer on one side than the other. He turned to the man sitting next to him. This is bollocks, Thorne said. DCI Russell Brigstock glared at him. Bollocks, Thorne repeated. The gymnasium at the Peel Centre would normally be full of eager recruits at this unearthly time on a Monday morning. It was, however, the largest space available for this restorative justice conference, so the floor of the gym had been covered with a green tarpaulin, and fifty or so seats had been laid out. They were filled with supporters of both offender and victims, together with invited officers who, it was thought, would appreciate being brought up to speed with this latest initiative. Beck House where Thorne and Brigstock were based, was part of the same complex. Half an hour earlier, on the five-minute walk across to the gym, Thorne had moaned without drawing breath. If it's an invitation, how come I'm not allowed to turn it down? Shut up, Brigstock said. Thorne shook his head. I'm just trying to get it straight. This piece of pond life ties an old couple up with electrical flex, gives the old man a kick or two for good measure, breaking three ribs, he pisses on their carpet, fucks off with their life savings, and now we're rushing across to see how sorry he is. It's just a trial. They've been using RJCs in Australia and the results have been pretty good. Reoffending rates have gone right down. So, basically, they sit everybody down pre-sentence and if they all agree that the guilty party is really feeling guilty, he gets to do a bit less time, that it? Brigstock dumped his half-full cup of coffee in a bin. It's not quite that simple. A week and a bit into a steaming June, but the day was still too new to have warmed up yet. Thorne shoved his hands deeper into the pockets of his leather jacket. No, but whoever thought it up is. In the gym, the audience watched as Darren Ellis moved balled-up fists from in front of his face to reveal moist red eyes. Thorne looked around at those watching. Some looked sad and shook their heads. One or two were taking notes. If I said that I felt like a victim, would you laugh? Darren asked. The old man answered flatly. I'd want to knock your teeth out. Things aren't always that clear-cut, Darren said. The old man's skin was tight around his mouth. I'll tell you what's clear-cut. His eyes flicked towards his wife as he spoke. She hasn't slept since the night you came into our house. 
She wets the bed most of the time. She's got so bloody thin. Something between a gulp and a gasp echoed around the gymnasium as Darren dropped his head into his hands and gave full vent to his emotions. A senior detective stood up and started walking towards the table. It was time to take a break. Thorne leaned across and whispered loudly to Brigstock, He's very good. Where did he train? Rada? Several of the faces that turned to look daggers at him belonged to senior officers. Ten minutes later, and everybody was mingling in the foyer outside. There was mineral water and biscuits. I'm supposed to write a report on this, Brigstock mumbled. Thorne waved to a couple of lads he knew from Team Six. Rather you than me. I'm trying to decide on the right word to use to describe the attitude of certain attending officers on my team. Obstructive, insolent. You got any thoughts? I think that was one of the stupidest things I've ever seen, and I don't care what the results were in sodding Australia. Actually, no, not stupid, it was obscene. All those silly bastards studying every expression on that little prick's face. How many tears? How big were they? How much shame? Did you see her face? Did you look at the old woman's face? Brigstock's mobile rang. He answered it quickly, but Thorne kept on talking anyway. Restorative justice for who? For that old man and his skeletal wife? Brigstock shook his head angrily, turned away. Thorne moved suddenly, pushing past several people as he walked quickly towards where he'd seen a group emerging from a door on the other side of the foyer. Darren Ellis had taken his jacket and tie off. He was handcuffed, a detective on either side of him. Good show, Darren, Thorne said. He raised his hands and started to clap. Ellis stared, his mouth opening and closing, an uneasy expression that had definitely not been rehearsed. Thorne smiled. What do you do for an encore? Always best to finish on a song, I reckon. The officer to Ellis's left, a stick-thin article with dandruff on his brown polyester jacket, tried his best to look casually intimidating. Piss off, Thorne. Before Thorne had a chance to respond, his attention was caught by the figure of Russell Brigstock marching purposefully across the room towards him. The look on the DCI's face caused something to clench in his stomach. You want to restore some justice? Brigstock said. Now's your chance. He pointed at Thorne with his mobile phone. This sounds like a good one. Hotel. They also called MPs Right, Honourable and Gentlemen. The sign outside said Hotel, but it should have read Shithole. It was as basic as they came. The maroon carpet was worn through in a number of places. The green of the rotting rubber underlay beneath matched the mould which snaked up the off-white anaglypta below the window. A long dead spider plant stood on the window ledge, caked in dust. Thorne pushed aside the grubby orange curtains, leaned against the ledge, and took in the breathtaking view of the traffic inching slowly past Paddington Station. Nearly eleven o'clock, and still solid. Thorne turned round and sucked in a breath. Opposite him in the doorway, DC Dave Holland stood chatting to a uniform, 
waiting like Thorn for the signal to step in and sink both feet deep into the mire. In different parts of the room, three scene of crime officers crouched and crawled, bagging and tagging and searching for the fibre, the grain, that might convict. The pathologist, Phil Hendricks, leaned against a wall, muttering into the new digital voice recorder he was so proud of. He glanced up at Thorne, a look that asked the usual questions. When is this going to get easier? Why don't the two of us chuck in this shit and sit in a doorway for the rest of our lives drinking aftershave? Thorne looked away. In the corner nearest him, a fourth Socko, whose bald head and bodysuit gave him the look of a giant baby, dusted the taps of the brown plastic sink with fingerprint powder. It was, at least, a shithole with en-suite facilities. Altogether, seven of them in the room. Eight, if you counted the corpse. Thorne's gaze was dragged reluctantly across to the chalk-white figure of the man on the bed. The body was nude and lay on the bare mattress, the spots of blood joining stains of less obvious origin on the threadbare ticking. The hands were tied with a brown leather belt and pushed out in front of him as he lay, prostrate, his knees pulled up beneath him, his backside in the air. His head, which was covered in a black hood, was pressed down into the sagging mattress. Thorn watched as Phil Hendricks removed the hood. From behind, Thorn saw his friend's shoulders stiffen for an instant, heard the small, sharp intake of breath, before he laid the head back down. As a socko moved across to take the hood and drop it into an exhibit's bag, Thorn took...